McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to Pompey Forecast, episode 193. Well, Pompey scored three goals against Peterborough, moving the Blues up to fifth. Have they finally solved their attacking problems? Join the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Evening, Bumps. Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, how about yourself? I'm good, mate, to be honest. I feel like I've just about recovered from Lost Village Festival, which is basically why we didn't record the normal episode last week, so I was away. I've just, yeah, just about recovered. Obviously going to the football with you guys and then going out afterwards didn't help my cause on the on the path to recovery. But I think after a two-hour nap before recording, which is the most important thing, obviously, I've just sort of got back into it a bit more now. Yeah, you and Freddie have got pressure on you, so I'm going to just just throw you both right under the bus here. You've both had pre, pre-pod naps. Uh, whereas I'm coming in knackered, so you need to be the life of this episode, I think. I love that. No pressure at all. I mean, I did wake up and have a coffee straight away. I do tend to like having a coffee before a nap, but this one was unplanned and, yeah, just ended up with a, a coffee now. But talk about having a nap. Freddie Webb's just woken up. How are you, Freddie? Well, I'm not so bad, Hugh. No, thankfully, I woke up a few hours ago, so I had to put everything together. But, yeah, I'm good. My weekend was not as fun as you lot because I was working, but it was good to record the extra on the Sunday with Joff and Jack. We went through a load of stuff, which was fun. It brightened up my weekend, made me feel better for missing this game. Talk about missing the game, Fred. There are there are a few murmurings around us in the in the stand. People who have only just started listening to podcasts, Freddie stands next to me in the back of the front. And, and to be honest, people are saying that maybe it's time to get the, the Yorkshire Out campaign going again, Freddie, because after scoring all those goals when you went there, you know, are you the unlucky charm again? Well, well, we'll have to test it, won't we? Because again, I'm working for the next home game as well against Lincoln City. So this is where we batter them 4-0 and I'm never allowed in the stand ever again. But I'm off to Derby away. So fingers crossed for that one at least. Andy, prepare the flag just in case. Yeah, don't worry. Well, more than that, I mean, I'm doing Derby away as well. So uh, if we haven't scored by like the 45th minute, we'll just kick him out the back of Pride Park. It's all good. I'm looking for any excuse, to be honest with you. Love a bit of manhandling with Freddie. So uh, that came out not quite the way I intended, but <laughs> Freddie looks like he'd enjoy it from the look on his face. It's all good. Freddie, you can get yourself down to that harvester, which is just around the corner from from Fry Park if you get kicked out by the boys. Yeah, but I'll, I'll be stuck in there all game. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to go near, near Andy. I don't want to injure his shoulder. Yeah, sort of on that note, actually, just before we get into the actual game. So the... Peterborough game was the first time I've ever experienced sort of the accessibility side of Fratton Park, where there's obviously a team for people who have injuries or are disabled, etc. That 
you know, they sort you out for your seats at the front of the Fratton end or um, just around to the start of the North Stand, I think it is. And yeah, just I had a really positive experience with them. So just, I guess, on the record, a big thank you to Emma Smith in the team there and the stewards on the day as well. They sorted Will and myself out with a temporary seat at the front of the stand, had a seat spare to the left and to the right of me. So no one could make me need more surgery. <laughs> um which, by the way, I know some people seem to think that you're joking about the shoulder, Hugh, because you say so much rubbish about me. I've had a couple of people say to me that they thought that this was just another elaborate joke that you make, like the frogs or whatever, and uh, were surprised to see that I've actually had fairly major reconstructive surgery and I'm in quite a lot of pain. They were surprised to see it wasn't a joke. But if you can't use this shoulder injury to try and say that other things that have happened in your life you don't like particularly are not true for Andy. Let's be well, honest like frog here. Frog No, no, just you're terrified of frogs. This is this is just these things that happen to you, mate. You're mm. just, uh, you should have your own TV show at this stage, to be honest. Just the life of Andy Mitchmore. I'm all Honestly, for it. If you were Actual a fly geographic. on the wall, if you were a fly on the wall, you know, you'd see some, some injuries, I tell you, you'd see some things. But no, it just, it was really nice to see kind of another side of the club in terms of how they provide for people who, for whatever reason, can't get to a, a regular seat higher up the stand, etc. And it just worked seamlessly. Emma was just on top of it. We turned up at the accessibility entrance, gave our surname, shown to a seat, bish, bash, bosh. That was it, done. And I was just, it was nice to see that that match, their experience can run so well because it's a side of the club that we never normally see, just go into our seats in sort of in the gods at the, at the top of the fraternend. end. And yeah, it was just uh, just quite appreciative. And it was interesting to see the game from a different angle as well. We were sort of second row back at the front of the frat and end, sort of to the left of the goal. And very different view on the game. And you get a very... It's a lot more visceral when you're that that low and you're close to the action. You get a very different feel for the game compared to when you're up top where we normally are, where we can see the whole pitch. It was a, a different experience. Also, the camber on the pitch is so much better. Last time I sat at pitch side must have been about... 2004 five or something where we sat in the south stand near the dugouts and like you look to the far end of the pitch and you couldn't see any players from about the knees or the waist down because the camber of the pitch was so big you couldn't see the other side of the pitch and it seems a lot flatter now so yeah interesting different experience for for me this weekend yeah and if our fortunes carry on doing well andy and we start carry on scoring as soon as your arm gets better, I might have to re-injure it to make sure you stay down that bottom of the stand so that we can carry on this good luck. Freddie not allowed in the back of the stand and you better get yourself back down that to the front. Are you just trying to clear the back of the fratten end from the deadwood? It sounds like that's what, you're, that's what you're trying to do. You've decided Freddie and I aren't worthy of being up there anymore, so you need no. to find a way to get rid. I was going to say, Hugh wants me to get a season ticket at York City instead. And from, from the game that I watched when I was on holiday, my God, they're dreadful. Now that's a so commute. I won't enjoy that at all. <laughs> That's a commute if you do that from Portsmouth every Saturday, Fred. Respect. Moves home with his parents purely to get a York season ticket. <laughs> That's commitment to the cause, that is. <laughs> Love that. Anyway, let's get started. There are no games to preview today, so we'll just get into what we're doing. So first of all, we are going to preview the game against Peterborough. Following from that, we had the question and we said to you guys, have Pompey solved their attacking problems? Thanks everyone that messaged in again. It makes the show. We really appreciate it. And finally, we've got some bits about the news to talk about, but then it's going to be a wrap this week. So let's go, Peterborough boys. It's a typically slow start from Pompey, if I'm honest. Obviously, Sadie was playing in 10 in this sort of position as well. Kamara starts on the wing on at left wing. 
Ricky J. Jones looks like a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a problem for us down one side. And Peterborough attacked, I think it was over 40% down that left-hand side. So obviously targeting the side where Ricky J. Jones was and where Swanson was playing at the back there. Yeah, we had a sort of early scare from him. Um, when Ricky J. Jones brings the ball forward, he robs it in midfield, comes through, has a shot, and he goes at the near post this time. And luckily Norris is able to sit um, able to save it. There was one question before, Fred, about our slow starts. Do you think this is just a matter of the game that Peterborough came out as quickly, or is this more of a systematic thing? It's probably the way that Peterborough wanted to play, because obviously they're probably the most attacking side that comes to Fratton Park recently. And from the League Cup game, Ricky J. Jones proved to be a handful in that game. He was definitely a handful in this one. Um, managing to intercept the pass from Regan Paul and then dribbling it right into the penalty area. Thankfully, he was shepherded wide, otherwise it would have been a a clearer chance than it was. But no, I don't think Peterborough's start and star play helped Pompey at all, really, to be honest. And it, the slow starts, well, have been going on for ages, haven't they? It was, um, I'm not I'm not sure if it's a thing of wanting to settle into the game, try and get, they're getting used to the tactics and the positions still. So they're slightly a bit off it, but no, the slow start, um, didn't it didn't go well in like the first 20 minutes or so and the fans definitely definitely got on the back of them after that i think it was definitely a systematic problem i think you have to say that the amount of overlaps peterborough had on our right defensive side in that first half an hour they could have been three nil up by the time we scored our equalizer easily possibly four nil at a push um swanson was obviously trying to push up so we can utilise his, you know, attacking abilities, and he did a fairly good job on that front. But through no fault of his own, in my opinion, he was so exposed in that first half an hour. They had men over on that side multiple times, and whilst that is a, a systematic issue, that you know, Messino, I think Peterborough played a different formation, I think, than they did in the cup game. Um, I think they lined up three four three possibly in the cup game, and a four two three one in this one. Um, so possibly Messino was expecting them to line up with the same formation and prepared Portsmouth for that. But as we prepared for that, Zach Swanson was just getting doubled up on and, and defensively what you meant to do. As soon as he pushed up, there was an overlap or the ball was played over him. And Peterborough had two on one on that side so many times. It was unbelievably frustrating to watch. And that's where, you know, Norris saved at his near post. Um, and it's, Eventually, that side that, well, not eventually, but it's where that goal comes from early doors is, is on that side of the pitch. And whilst Messino potentially should have seen it coming, you have to say that he actually adapted and he saw what, to be fair, all of us saw, but he did see it and he did something about it fairly early doors. He didn't wait till half time to reshuffle. After half an hour or so, there was a bit of a reshuffle and then Pompey, you know, second half, changed formation a bit to, to negate that threat fairly successfully until the last couple of minutes when we were backs against the wall a little bit. But it was definitely a systematic issue. But after we'd conceded, it did get sorted. So credit to Messino for being able to adapt sort of on the hoof a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it already, but it goes back out to Ricky J. Jones and that side for their goal. And Swanson sort of tries to jockey in one-on-one. -on -one. He's got a lot of space. He's running at him. It's difficult in that situation. It's not like he was tight to him originally. And he just sort of shows him outside and cuts back inside. And to be fair to Rick J. Jones, plays a really nice sort of like shot, doesn't he? Curls it past Norris into the back of the net. And it's 1-0 Peterborough. 
I don't think there's too much you could say. I think Norris can get on that. I think there's a lot of space there. Maybe Swanson just to cover the inside there a little bit. But just before we touch on that, I did see that, yes, um, Swanson had a lot, you know, people running him in this situation. He did make five tackles, which led the game on all players as well. So you can see he was very busy down that one side. But is there anything we could lay at Swanson for this one, Freddie? Or all the keepers? Or is it just a situation where we, we, as a team, gave him too much space? Uh, probably two of those things. I, I don't. I wouldn't blame Norris for the goal. Really, it was just a lovely finish from Jones. Actually, could pretty much near into the corner. I think Swanson could have been a bit tighter, but but obviously he has to be careful not to dive in completely beforehand because obviously he stepped back a bit to try and shepherd Jones onto his left foot, which didn't particularly work because he he positioned his body, made it made it onto the left, and then scooped it back onto his right. I don't think it's a defensive error, but I would have liked Swanson to have been a bit tighter on him. And it was a shame that Jones had all that space after, well, people could argue that the chance could have been cut out earlier when Poku was able to dribble in from the right-hand side all the way into the middle and then play the ball across. So that didn't particularly help either. The defence got really stretched. Um, I will put Boremsis on Peterborough's quality there, to be honest, um, because it was... Lovely dribble from Poku initially. Then a nice cross to Jones. Then Jones was able to get it onto his right foot, which takes a little bit of skill. But it would have been nice if Swanson was a bit tighter to him, to be honest. I think where he picks up the ball there, a player shouldn't score from picking up the ball in that position, if I'm honest with you. I thought Swanson, again, had a really good game on the whole. On this occasion, you've got to get a foot in there. I don't think even even one-on-one, if you're a defensive player on the wing against a player picking up the ball in that position, you shouldn't be letting them cut inside and shooting without actually either you know, even half getting a foot in or taking the man on. I mean, it's a lovely finish. Zero blame at Norris's. He's not saving that any times out of 100. Zero blame for him at that. I think the responsibility for that one has got to stop at Swanson's door. Not a horror show by any stretch, but I think... He'll be looking at the replays of that and thinking he should have got a foot in at some point or got a block in or forced Jay Jones wide. If you look where he picks up the ball, he shouldn't be scoring from there, really. But as I say, Swanson went on to have a really good game for me, especially in the second half, and looked like he was playing with a bit of a smile on his face as well, which is, again, something you don't see from the top of the fraternity end. So, yeah, I'm not going to critique too much. It wasn't a horror show by any stretch of the imagination for the goal, but shouldn't really be scoring from there. Yeah, and it takes about 18 minutes for us to come back into the game and get the, and get a goal, get the equaliser. Um, and Swanson's involved in that, interchanging a little bit with Pack, Morel as well. It was quite nice because he didn't just bang the ball in the box. It was a little bit more patient to find the right amount of time. So Pack had the the sort of time to get a nice ball into the box. Plays it back, Morel to Pack. Pack plays it into the box. And it's a lovely header from Colby Bishop to get the equaliser. It was one of those situations, wasn't it? I love the fact that Bishop literally stands up, shouts at the defender, has a go at the ref. I think it's fair to say, isn't it, Andy, that Colby Bishop was tugged all over the place in this game, even maybe more so than usual? He was very frustrated at this point in the game, uh, partially because, as you say, there was a lot of niggly play going on. But at the same time, he wasn't getting the support he should have been. The number of times he flicked on a, a long ball from, say, Norris... And there was no one running onto it. And you could see him getting visually annoyed with the lack of support he was receiving. So I think a combination of those two things, to be honest with you, he looked pretty annoyed all afternoon. Uh, don't blame him. But if an, if an annoyed Colby Bishop 
is going to produce goals, then I'm not going to complain. I hope he gets wound up every single Saturday. But I think it was the isolation that he was experiencing was definitely a contributing factor. But yeah, you love the shithousery, the sort of shouting at the player on the floor. You love to see it. Fred, that also changed the game went on, didn't it? As Pompey grew into it, as the wingers got further forward, as the sort of centre midfielders got more foot on the ball, etc. when we come into the into the second half. And Colby Bishop won eight headers in this game, which goes to show that even though he's being tugged all over the place, etc., he still had a really effective game, didn't he? And he sort of allowed a platform later on for the rest of the attacking cohort to come into the game. Yeah, the link between Bishop and Sadie and the wingers was much better in this game. I was very happy that Sadie was playing a bit further forward. It's more like a number 10 because he's got great physicality, but also very high pressing to win the ball back. And he's in so, so many areas at once that he could link the play incredibly well. Bishop was not as isolated as he usually was in previous games. And he said eight headers, one. He's so much more than the target man. He's able to wrestle the defender because Ronnie, Ronnie Edwards, Peter knew what he was doing there. He was trying to wrestle Bishop down, knowing that the referee wouldn't give a penalty really for that. It, it would have forced him to make a decision. But, he, but Bishop just gets ahead of him and it's a lovely header. That's the sort of... It's the striker to get us promoted, isn't it? You can see the different skills and the different goals he's scoring. Um, we just need to keep up the quality to match him with that. And yeah, it was also a nice bit of play in the wide areas for Kamara's goal soon afterwards, albeit the defensive error came in. Yeah, let's talk about that as well. Leading up to that, Norris plays an absolutely bang on ball, doesn't he? To Swanson, the wings that wins the corner. He plays this long ball over top. Swanson, he's he's you know playing advanced. He wants to see. We talked about it in the in the previous games with our left and right backs getting forward. Gets forward, plays the ball off the defender, which wins the corner, which ultimately you know gets us the goal. Just before we get onto the goal, then Andy, it's nice to see Norris having that sort of range of uh, passing ball to get the ball out, isn't it? Like that. Yeah, he played some really nice long diagonals in this game, actually. So. As you say, this was the the occasion in which it resulted in a set piece that we scored from, but it was a theme throughout the game. His distribution was excellent. I don't really know what else to add on to that, to be honest with you. There were a couple of long diagonal pulls that, you know, when you're watching, it makes you make that noise, that sort of a noise that you don't mean to make, but it's like a, oh, when you see, you know, when you see a long diagonal, it's just like a raking ball cross field. It just... It brings out a very visceral reaction in you as a football fan. <laughs> and there were multiple of those in these games. And as you say, yeah, it led to the goal on this occasion, thanks to a, a lovely touch from Critchlow uh, setting up setting up our second and kind of landing it on a plate for, for Abu Kamara. Kamara. Yeah, and it was, it was, a, it was nice as well. I, I had a little bit of a chuckle with Ryan next to me in the stand because obviously it came from a short corner. I was hoping for another goal from a long throw without Freddie being there, just to sort of extra rub it in as well. But the ball comes out, they play, the, they play the ball short. The angle's nice, ball goes into the box. Defender should do a lot better with it, obviously. Gets a touch on it. But what I'd like to see is Kamara following the ball in there. Sort of poacher's instinct, very calm finish, really. Just taps it into the back of the net. And I think I was leaving myself thinking that at half time, I couldn't quite believe we're two and up, to be honest. Yeah, I was I was pretty surprised from listening to the radio coverage because it seemed a bit doom and gloom in the first 25, half an hour or so. Lovely positioning by Kamara, perfect positioning, striker's instincts, actually, even though he plays out wide to be able to get the goal there. And I know I don't like short corners or long throws, but it's nice that that element is there, isn't it? Because it changes it up a little bit. It was quite clear that Peterborough weren't really set for the short corner, which was nice because 
even when White's cross came in, it wasn't brilliant. There was a lot of space in between the defenders, weren't there? There was definitely areas where the attackers could get on the ball in the first place. So, yes, a bit of luck by Critchlow just, I don't know. I don't know how he manages to clear it straight to Kamara, but thankfully he did and it was it was a lovely finish in the end. I mean, yeah, we were saying at half-time, I've never been more confident that a game wasn't going to finish with the score that it was at half-time. I was expecting more than one goal in the second half, but that game was never going to finish 2-1. The amount of chances that were being created, I have no idea what the XG was at half-time for both sides. I don't particularly care. I don't know if that's Freddie's one for the day or not, but the amount of chances that were being created, and it was such an open game, and Peterborough were looking so dangerous on the wings, although as we saw in the second half, you know, couldn't finish a trifle. They would just could not put the ball in the net second half. But I don't, I still don't really know how we were 2 1 up at half time. I'm still a little bit confused as to how that could have happened based on the first 30 ish minutes. It just shows like how important it is to be clinical with your chances. Like the first half, honestly, was a bit of a smash and grab for us. Second half was a different, different kettle of fish, especially for the first 25 minutes of the second half where we dominated the game and it was one of the best spells of pressure I've seen from a Pompey side for for quite a long time. But yeah, that first half, it felt like a bit of an away smash and grab the way that that we took those chances and went in a goal up. But yeah, I'm still a bit confused how we were winning at halftime, to be honest with you. It's a weird one. Not complaining, just a bit of a weird one. Then we go into the second half and it was quite clear, as Andy said, that another goal would be, probably be needed. Swanson at this time gets on the ball on the right hand side, puts across in the box, and there's like a diving header from the from the defender, which basically comes back off the bar, I believe. Yeah, sort of like the cross intersection. Yeah, yeah, it comes out again. It gets worked back, and Sadie has a nice shot as well. He's all over this game. He's pumped up, and he's in a really good position here. Picks the ball up, curls a shot, and the keeper makes a really good save down to his left, really, to knock it out for a corner. But from there, you could see it was coming a little bit. And Pompey really came out in this game, didn't they? All firing in the second half. Yeah, keeper had a really good game, actually. The Peter keeper made some really good saves. Tipped, um, tipped one onto the bar, made a couple of good saves from close range as well. I think we could easily have scored more than we did. I'm saying that so good, Peterborough. But yeah, it was such a sustained spell of pressure. And it's one of those spells of pressure that you feel like you need to really score while you've got the momentum, which is such a massive football cliche. Uh, but it's like, you know, in rugby, when you get a long spell of pressure in the opposition's 22, you have to come away with points, especially if you're like within five metres for a long period of time, you have to come away with at least three points. It's the same in football. If you get one of those heads of steam up, head of steams, heads of steam, whatever, you've got to take advantage of it. It was kind of a bit of a cauldron atmosphere in a positive way um, for that first 25 minutes of the second half, for that to sort of build up. And then you get that sort of that eruption when it actually results in a goal that was so well deserved and a really nicely worked goal. And I said, don't want to overstate it, you know, it's a one goal in one game against Peterborough at the start of the season. But the twenty well, the twenty minutes building up to that goal and the moment of that goal going in, mostly because I didn't track Paul as a runner on the way, and I didn't actually track the run at all. Like that moment of sort of the eruption is pretty much why I love football, to be honest with you. Um, I don't want to sort of overstate it and make it sound like a bigger deal than it was, but it was sort of the, a microcosm of why I love going to Fratton Park because there was that build-up, there was a positive feel to it. We were dominating as a home team 
you know, we feel should at Fratton Park against a good Peter Brasside. Let's not make any bones about it. They were a good attacking threat. Awful at the back, but a good attacking threat. Oh, it's just a one. It's just such a nice moment when that goal, then that goal goes in. It's the most pumped I felt at a football game for quite a while. Unfortunately, I can't jump around at the moment too much because of the shoulder, but it's the most pumped I've been. And you could see in the players as well as they celebrated that, the level of sort of <laughs> the amount of testosterone circulating <laughs> in that huddle after that third goal was epic. It was absolutely huge. Swanson had mad eyes on. I was quite scared of him in that moment. He had absolute mad eyes. But uh, <laughs> oh, it was such a nice moment. It's why I love Fratton Park in a microcosm. Got to say, I prefer the rugby analysis to the cricket one. So, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring another sport going forward, could you do that? Yeah, we'll go freestyle diving next week. I'll find a I'll find a, a parallel somewhere and I'll bring in some weird sports. What's that? Kabaddi, that's a fun one. I don't know what the rules are, but I'll find a I'll find a mic a um a parallel. Okay. We'll look forward to that. Just to talk about the goal a bit more than that Andy touched on. Obviously, it's worked around really nicely. It comes to Morel. He plays a nice ball in the box and packed as a really nice little cushioned sort of header to Kamara, which he's done it a few times where he's, I think it was one of the other games where the ball was played out to him and he just sort of cushioned it forward from the halfway line. And again, Kamara takes the shot on. I like to see that. He's in another position to score on the left-hand side, which would be missing a little bit with Scully playing there. It goes across the box and Regan Paul, when you watch it, he sort of goes back out again when the ball comes out. He tracks back in case he has to get back as a centre-back. As soon as he sees the play coming, his first instinct is to get again towards that back post and he does really well for a centre-back and mm. turns it in and it's a goal and we're 3-1 up and then from there you kind of feel it's comfortable don't you Fred? Yeah absolutely I really enjoyed the bit of play from the second phase of the corner brilliant cross by Morel to pack and then that sort of header can easily go wrong can't it um, he could either go too high or whatever but it was a nice height for Kamara and I can't tell if Kamara wanted to have a shot or it was just a very brilliant hooked cross across the six-yard box. I couldn't quite tell, but I'm not complaining about that. And yeah, Paul's positioning was brilliant. They was able to be sensible to start with, to sort of half-track back in case Peter went on a counter-attack, but stayed up in the penalty area. I just got across the defender and hit it in. It was a very nice finish as well. It was good they were able to get past Bilokovic in goal because he pushed some nice saves. There was a Safe from Kamara when Kamara had a lot of space on that left-hand side. Kamara had a great game, actually. And so did most of the players. But no, it was nice that by the sound of it on the radio, the, the Pompey actually felt like a home team, but also their build-up was more incisive and the quality of chances they were getting were better. Um, it was a bit different than like the Exeter game, for example, when Pompey were on top for a long period of time, but it just took ages for a quality chance to turn up. But... The Blues seem to have changed that, especially in the second half, and it was great. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. I think just to touch on that ball from Morel, the sort of the second phase of play, that was not isolated. I know we're going to talk about Joe Morel in a moment because of the red card, which for me is unfortunate because of the game he'd had up, he'd had up to that point. But the number of those slight diagonals after he picked up the ball from a, a, a corner or a set piece or whatever... There were numerous of those. There was between five and ten of those in the game where he played a little diagonal in after receiving the ball after it had been cleared. And it caused Peterborough so many issues throughout the game. And it was, in terms of sort of passing quality, I can't think of a game where I've seen better from Joe Morrell in terms of absolutely, absolutely dictating the second phase of play. 
And for me, I was just really chuffed that one of those resulted in a goal because otherwise none of them would have made the highlights packages. But he made such a good contribution through those second phases throughout the game. And Peterborough just could not deal with that slight diagonal ball when Morel picked up in a central position, sort of 30 yards out. It happened time and time again. And yeah, I'm really pleased that it resulted in a goal so everyone could see an example of one of them. Um, And I'm hoping to see more of that going forward after he served his ban. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky it's only two yellows this time. (laughs) Yeah, Andy's standing up for his fellow countrymen there. But at the same time, I think Morel had a really good game. I thought him and Pac did well once they got their foot on the ball especially in that second half, being able to sort of work it well. One-twos together, it sort of allowed us to have an attacking platform further up the pitch. I thought the movement in front of them was better. I think Sadie drags defenders away from him a lot better. So his pressing, his running, etc., caused a bit of havoc in front of him. It caused more space for the other players as well. It just really worked. So on that positive note, obviously, just what the first yellow, Peterborough breaking, Ricky J. Jones taking it down the sort of the touchline way and Joe Morrell takes him out. I've got no problem with that at all because that's the first yellow and it's one of those old school take one for the team sort of yellow cards, I think, there. Absolutely no problem in that. Holding midfielder, takes down the goal scorer, middle of the pitch. Uh, I think it's the right thing to do. It's just the second one, isn't it? And the second one, again, I sort of feel a bit sorry for Joe Morrell. I know some people are giving him punters here or pelters even, but... It's the kind of thing I'd like to do. I'm a bit of an aggressive sort of like central player. You see the player getting away from you. When you're not on a yellow card, it's not really a problem putting your foot in like that. But Joe Morrell plays on the edge, doesn't he, Fred? And unfortunately, mistimes it and gets sent off for it. Yeah, it's the short, unfortunately, it's the sort of challenge that you can't make when you're on a booking, especially now because referees, a lot of them at this level, need any excuse to get their cards out to book somebody for nothing even though maybe five, maybe 10 5 10 years ago maybe it may be a referee might have been lenient there but no it's definitely a second booking and a sending off but it's quite concerning looking at his card history from looking at this he's got two yellows and a red this season last season had 10 yellows and two reds and then the season before that having seven yellows and a red red I like how many of the 10 yellows and two reds last season how many appearances was that from Oh, I'll have to get back to you, but I will do. Okay. Um, I like a centre midfielder to have that bit of bite and that bit of tenacity. You need that in the football league. But the problem, is, and remember last season, that one of those red cards was absurd. It was that high boot that barely got off the ground. So I'm not taking, there's context to add to those cards. That was Oxford, right? It was, yeah, I believe so. But... If you are getting too many cards, it just it opens the door for another centre midfielder to come in and replace him. And we've got plenty of options now. You've you've got Tino Andrian who just came in. If you want a more aggressive option, you've got Ben Stevenson who's impressed in the cup games. You've got Terry Devlin as well, who's also impressed and a bit more expansive, more box to box. So it's good that we have the depth there. But I'm sorry, it was a silly, needless yellow card. And as much as I like that play, as much as I like it before when he wasn't booked, you can't be making that challenges like that because the refs will just book you and send you off. It's a shame. See, I don't think that second one was a yellow. I didn't think it was a yellow live and I've watched it back and I still don't think the second one was a yellow. First one, 100%. Second one, I don't think it's a yellow. And I'm very frustrated by it because I've seen the amount of 
absolute pelters he's taken on social media, which is a, obviously a very fairly small section of the fan base in the big picture. But the amount of stick he's got for the red when he had such a good game up to that point. And I agree that the second yellow is probably not the smartest challenge to put in when you're on a yellow, but I don't think it's a second yellow card. And I find that really, really frustrating. I think the ref, if you look how quickly the referee makes that decision, he doesn't take a second to sort of replay it in his mind. And just to annoy you, Hugh, I'm going to go to cricket as an analogy here because you've com- you said you don't want them, so you're going to get them. With umpiring decisions, a lot of the time you see umpires replay what they've just seen in their head when there's an LBW shout. So you can they do the same calculation every time in their head. They replay it for, you know, has it pitched outside off? Has it hit in line? Is it missing leg? Is it going over the top? Is it pitched outside leg? Whatever. Is, it, is there an inside edge? They replay it in their mind before giving a decision. It's for a lot of umpires, even if it's plumb in front, they take the same amount of time to give the decision as if it's as when it's sort of a borderline LBW shout. And the referee did not give himself a second moment's thought. The card for the second yellow is pretty much out before the Peterborough player stops moving on the pitch after being fouled. He doesn't give himself a split second to think about it, which frustrates me a lot. So I don't think it was a second yellow. What a surprise. Andy defends his Welsh brethren, who sounds about as Welsh as I do. But um, yeah, I don't think it was a second yellow and I'm frustrated because he was so good in this game. I would say it's a little bit harsh on some levels because I think Joe Morrell made three chal- three fouls in this game. Two of them are yellows. Obviously, one of them is a yellow card. I-, I wouldn't be surprised for another referee just to say, that's your last warning. Don't do it again. I mean, that could quite easily have happened. I think the thing is the player's kind of breaking. I think that's why the referee's giving him a yellow card because he's sort of breaking. It's sort of, it- I think the referee's seen it as a professional foul. Yeah, but there's cover. There's so much cover there coming back. The centre-backs are in position and midfielders are coming back to cover and Swanson's sort of on his way, although a bit more out of position. Like, there's so much cover there. It's not preventing a really great goal-scoring opportunity. It's preventing, like, I don't know, a a three-on-three, obviously, is a half-decent opportunity, but it's not like it's preventing a four-on-one or something ridiculous. I've, I've chosen this as my hill to die on this week. That's fair enough. I think you could, I think you could easily see, as I said, that another referee would have just given him a last warning in that situation, especially since there's only three fouls he's committed all game, including that one. However, you could also argue with Joe, you just don't need to put your foot in there. There was so much cover behind him that in that situation, you've just got to take a breath, really, haven't you? And not allow the referee to make that decision. I'm sort of in the middle about it. I do feel a bit bad for him. It is maybe a little bit harsh, but at the end of the day, you've just got to be a little bit more controlled in that situation and allow Pack or whoever it was behind him just to to cover there, and you just run around and provide cover, tracking back. So maybe a bit, a bit of both from my perspective, but just moving on quickly then. Peterborough after the Reds, you know, got a bit more in the game as you expect, got more possession. They had one really good chance near the end of the game where, is it Sturge, slices it over from just right inside the box or just wide, doesn't get any connection on it, ball comes in from the right-hand side, Maybe that's Johnson Clark Harris. He manages to bury that quite easily into the back of the net, but it wasn't luckily for us. And the game finishes 3 1. Yeah, Pompey managed to deal with going down to 10 men quite well. To follow on from Andy's point, um, 
last season, Morel's 10, I believe it was 10 yellows and a red. I think I said, just to double check. I think you said 10 yellows, two reds earlier. Yeah, 10 yellows and two reds. That might have included second booking in there. Um, That was from 29 games last season. And then the season before, I'm just loading up transfer marks because it's got a breakdown of it. It was four yellows and a red. This is what happens when you compare it to different stats platforms. They record them in different ways. It's silly. Oh, I'm um, so glad you got up from your nap hours before so you could prep for the podcast, Freddie. Well, it was the one bit of prep I didn't <laughs> do. <laughs> you literally told me about it two minutes before recording. I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, it all comps those red cards. The season before that were in 39 games in all comps. And then season prior, 35 games all comps. So it's... <laughs> Yeah, I do understand why some people think that second yellow card's a bit harsh. Because yeah, I, don't, I don't like those challenges being penalised, really, but you just have to adapt to the refereeing you have in this league, it, it, even if it's crap. It's just something you have to do to actually get the points and stuff. But I'm glad that Pompey were able to be comfortable with it near the end of the game and they didn't give a lot of chances away despite going down to 10 men. I'm not that bothered if Jay Morrell picks up a yellow card every every other game as long as he doesn't get sent off. We've got good cover playing for us. You know, in, in the side, as you said, we've got players that can come in, rotate in, etc. I just don't want him getting sent off. Like, you know, I'll hold him midfielders. If they pick up a yellow once every two, three games, it's not the end of the world for me. I'd rather he plays on the edge and wins the ball back more by by playing like that. And then if he gets suspended from multiple yellow cards, we can bring someone in for one game. We've got the depth for that. Got no problem with that at all. It's just making sure you don't get that second yellow card. And for me, that's the only issue. But generally speaking, I've not really got a problem with it at all. And I think some fans um, are a little bit on top of Joe Morrell for that. And at the end of the day, we didn't lose the game. We did fine. We saw the game out. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a very easy criticism. It's a very quick, you know, it's an easy one to go to. People pick their, you know, what they're going to complain about. Yeah, people pick their theme and then jump at the opportunity to go back to that theme throughout the season. And a lot of people jump on this as what they've decided is going to be one of their bugbears for the season and then are going to jump straight on his back. I've seen some horrible comments from people about it. It wasn't a great second challenge. But I'd be willing to bet, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'd be willing to bet that that disciplinary record that Freddie just described is not that far above average, if at all above average, for central midfielders playing in the same role in the league. Um, I don't need you to look that up, Fred. I don't know how you would during the podcast recording, but it would be interesting to see. I don't believe he does it statistically significantly more than other centre midfielders with that sort of enforcer role. So I just think it's a really easy stick to beat him with. And I think it's at times, a little bit, you know, people looking for something to complain about, which is a very, very 2020 to 2023 thing to be doing. You know, we must have something to moan about, even when we win 3-1 against a good attacking Peter Brasside. But I'm not having it. Right. Andy's uh, defended Joe quite well there. Fred, I have spoken. Before we move on. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's only one more bit to talk about for this Peter game, and it's Andy's favourite game. And I'm sure he's been thinking about it all week. We're going to play Guess the XG. Guess the XG. The last bit before we move on to the news and the listener question. 
my question for you guys is what is the xg on regan paul's goal to andy seal gets, it and make it free one andy gets to go first this time as i did last time when he triumphed over me quite quite dramatically yay okay so this is just to clarify this is from the moment the ball leaves regan balls regan pool's foot right i don't think it was a diving header i thought he went in for the volley with his right foot uh am i wrong no, it was, it was a volley, yeah. It was a volley, he okay. Cool. When, he got to, when he gets his foot on the ball, yeah. Yeah, so by at the moment the f- ball leaves his foot, <laughs> he's four yards out and the keeper's on the ground. So if this isn't a high XG, we're never going to have it. And Freddie, I know you've enjoyed the XG debate. I say debate. The XG on social media over the last couple of weeks where people in their 40s and 50s decide it's you know fun and edgy to to make comments aimed at a 19-year-old on, on Twitter. But... That's a whole other conversation for a whole other time. It's pretty damn pathetic, if you ask me. Um, love you, Jack Hancock. So that, I went off on a tangent there, didn't I? Um, so from the moment the ball leaves his boot, I mean, he's a professional footballer. He's three yards out. I'm going with an XG of 0.78. Oh, dear. And I think... If it's lower than that, I mean, I've just defended Jack Hancock, but if it's lower than that, then <laughs> Hancock, your metrics are a load of crap. <laughs> I'm I'm just weighing up whether to be controversial or not here, Andy. Let's have a think about this. Well, the ball's played in with a lot of pace, right? So it might be lower than that based off the speed of the drilled cross. But it's also a volley as well. I'm, I'm yeah, it's a volley from two yards out, Fred. Let's just mix it up and see if I can annoy Andy. I'm going to go with 0.65. I think it's going to be like 0.5 something just to annoy me. Um, my second guess would be like 0.54 or something, but I'm not going to change my answer. Yeah. Well, Hugh's the closest. And I will, I will say I do think the XG on this chance is harsh. It's very go. harsh, in fact. And Andy's <laughs> going to lose his shit in a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's all relative. Uh, yeah. I have bigger problems in my in my life than this, but I'm sure I can find some rage. Yeah. They gave it. They gave it a zero point three six chance, 0. which I think is harsh. Okay, scratch that. I don't have bigger problems in my life. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? Okay, no, Hancock, uh, I'm done defending you. You're out. <laughs> what a load of rubbish. Zero point three six. He's two yards out. I think it's more the ball like could four, hit him in the ribs but... and go in from there. The keeper's on the floor. <laughs> well, think of the amount of volleys you're in that position where people miss. But I do think it's harsh anyway. I think it should be a lot harder than no. that. But... 0.36 one of this i mean that's one of the stupidest things i've heard for a little while i'll be honest i think that is lower than i expected but the ball does come across with a bit of pace as well so he's got to sort of change his body position as not he fred and you know all that kind of stuff as well so it's a really good effort from quite a difficult chance really it's a great really effort important. it's a great effort but if you're only scoring that 36 times out of 100 you should not be a professional footballer are you saying you would have finished that chance, Andy? I um, mean, I've got one working leg, one working shoulder, so not exactly. I also didn't play as an outfield player, as a keeper, and I'm also not claiming to be good enough to be a professional footballer. I think I score that seven times out of 100. <laughs> uh, that, that's big boy numbers, that is. I, I wouldn't give myself that high because of 
well, body shape to get her to wrap wrap a boot around. Yeah, the just to clarify, I wouldn't back myself to even get in that position. If I accidentally ended should, should, up should in that position, that, Andy, two should yards we get Kamara to hit crosses across the box at that pace, and then we'll see if we can hit it seven times out of ten. No, 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 not seven times out of ten. Seven times out of a hundred. Not seven oh, right, times so you out of ten. Back, you don't back yourself at all, then. <laughs> no, absolutely not. not. That's what I'm saying. I don't claim to be a professional footballer, but. Anyway, we're digressing here, and I, after saying I don't care enough, the same has always happened. Where I then, my, what's my heart rate at? I was going to say eighty-eight. Like my heart rate's eighty-eight beats a minute. You're tracking that during the podcast. <laughs> no, no, I just had a look on my watch. It's uh, eighty-nine. <laughs> it's gone up since um, since we started talking about this ridiculous metric. Anyway, I'm becoming like a bit of a caricature of myself, getting annoyed at this every week. So let's move on. Yeah, I think the only other bit to add about the game in general. Bobby were behind in a lot of the tackling metrics, but they were very good in the aerial duels with like 50%. So Bishop winning a lot of headers, Pack winning a lot of headers, Sadie getting in there as well. There was also a 90% accuracy on progressive passes. And that's like direct passes that progress the play forward an awful lot. So in those key moments, Portsmouth did particularly well. And it was an even game on knife edge. The total XG for both time for both teams. 2.28 for Pompey, 2.06 for Peterborough. So just looking at that alone, it seemed pretty even that Pompey were able to get into the better positions in the end, in, in near the end of the first half and in the second. So no, it's a great win and it's um, turned things around an awful lot. Three wins and three draws to start off with seems better than it did a couple of weeks ago. I mean, let's look at the league table super briefly before we go on to the lesson cues. We did our predictions at the start of the season. If you told me that after six games, Exeter, Stevenage and Port Vale would be in the top four, I probably would have laughed in your face. And there's been a lot of sort of naysaying and agginess after two uh, nil-nil draws back to back. And you know, the football wasn't that exciting. But you look at the teams that we've predicted to be up there at the end of the season... Other than Bolton, we're above all of them. I mean, we called Blackpool to be up there at the end of the season. They're currently sitting in 12th. We called Charlton to be up there. They're currently sitting 16th. You know, we called Wickham and Barnsley to be up there, 10th and 9th, respectively. Derby are in 11th. You know, there's teams have tripped up a bit at the start. And I know that there's a there's a really big sort of condensing in terms of the difference in points. Like, we're all very close together. There's only two, two to three points in it at the moment. But... There's been a definitely an overreaction. It's 46 game season, for goodness sake, and we're one point off top, and we're above all these teams that I still think will be up there at the end of the season. If we go through the entire season above Derby and Blackpool, we are going to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season, at least there or thereabouts. I usually start looking at table like 15 games in, but it's good that Pompey remain unbeaten but I understand some of the frustration in those nil-nils because it was it basically showed off the same problems that had in previous seasons it didn't seem like they were fixed but thankfully this Peterborough game showed off an awful lot and the change of tactic to bring the more attacking midfielder further forward has definitely helped so positives to build on hopefully massively and this sort of segues nicely into our listener question so thanks everyone that messaged in we really appreciate it. It does make the show rather than just us three complaining about arguing about whether the XG is right on Regan Paul's uh, shot or not. So we asked you guys, Pompey bounced back from 1-0 down to win 3-1 versus the Posh. Have Pompey solved their attacking problems? 
The CMA's most messaged it and says, don't think it's a case of being solved, but developing a high level of intricacy to our play. Easy for you to say. Fucking hell. <laughs> Early season, we didn't need to be playing against defensively deep sides. Then we got a whole new attacking mid in and a squad to bed in that we've tweaked in each game. Glad of the two-week break. That's an interesting point there. Obviously, we spoke about the fact that we've got a lot of players in, haven't we, over the summer. It was always going to take a bit of time to settle in. I think it probably helped to a certain level that we got a lot of them in earlier because some of the players you can see, especially at the back, have really gelled together well, I think. And that's given us a good platform, not conceding very many goals. I think it's two so far in the league to be able to then go on. And even when we haven't been scoring, we've managed to get pick up points. So it will take time in that sense. I'm glad of the two-week break. Andy, do you feel that that's going to be a factor for us? After the momentum I felt we had at the final whistle, I wouldn't say I'm glad for the two-week break. I agree with the sentiment of all of the rest of that response in that I don't think we've solved it, or I don't think you can say that we've solved it Solved it until we line up against one of those teams that is playing for a, you know, playing for a draw. That was a, a lovely performance against an open, attacking Peterborough side who came wanting to play good football, attacking football, open football and create chances and as a result we created chances against them too you can't say that it's solved until we're doing that against you know name a team who I'm going to offend here your Cheltenham's your Fleetwoods your Carlisle United's at the bottom of the league um yeah I don't think you can say it's solved so I agree with the rest of that but I don't I don't feel like the two-week break has come at a great time for us and um, we're, not- we're notoriously quite slow at getting momentum back after either international breaks or COVID breaks. And I think, honestly, the COVID break is probably what did for the Cowleys, um, in my opinion, that that year that we had loads of games cancelled around Christmas. So I wouldn't say I'm glad for the break at this point. Brad messaged and he says, Question. If you're stranded on a desert island and you had to pick two current Pompey squad players to join you, who are you picking? Go on then, Fred. Lead away. No, I've got I've got a good idea on this one. So I, I, I'd pick someone for morale and somebody who can get stuff done. So I'm definitely picking Doors, Riley Towler. I'm definitely going to feel much better chatting with him on a desert island. And I'm going to pick Joe Morell as my second player because he'll get things done and get into some scraps with some animals if there's anything on there. I love that. That's <laughs> uncanny. That's exactly what I was going to say for Joe Morell, Fred. Yeah. Who's your other player then, Andy? Great minds, Andy. Great minds. I mean, Joe Morell just walked straight into my lineup based off the Welsh connection anyway. Uh, so we can just chat about all the places that he's probably never been to in South Wales, where I've got my connections at. Um, but yeah, you know, you just, you just know that he's just going to run off after whatever animal on the island and just kick it from behind and, and get us dinner for the night. Other than that, I was struggling a little bit, to be honest with you. Um, I definitely wouldn't take Colby Bishop. Uh, I I feel like he'd get very angry very quickly, and and I I don't think that's the company that I'd want on my desert island. It's a good question, actually. Um, possibly Connor Ogilvy. Um, it'd be interesting to see how sunburned the top of his head gets uh, on a desert island without any sun cream. Um, Will Norris, good with his hands, could be useful for fishing. If we haven't got a spear gun, 
I'll go with that. Mostly, can you tell that I like food? Both of my selections are food-based. I've yeah, got morel for the land-based animals, and I've got Norris for sort of swimming around the shallows, catching fish um, and and sort of green turban shells and that type of sort of shellfish and, and crabs and lobsters. Yeah, I'm going to go with Riley Towler as well. I think we could just chat about good places to go out in Bristol and pass the time generally. And the second option I'm going to go with is Marlon Pack. He looks like someone who might have been on Survivor. So I'm just I'm just pinning my hopes that, that he would be good at that kind of stuff. I mean, with a beard that good, he's got to be able to, like the testosterone levels have got to be able to make, you know, man make fire kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on board with that. I think he could build me a shelter, for instance, whilst I go fetch water for him. That'd be the yeah. kind of thing I'm th- I'm feeling. I like that. I've who, done this before. Well, I was going to say who should, was... who would you? I was going to say who would you want to avoid being on an island with? But we probably shouldn't go down that road. We don't want to start getting one off. No, no. I'm just going to say that. Um, I'm, I remember when I was travelling and I was um, I met a load of lads and some people when we were. I was in the Czech Republic and I ended up going to some sort of like cabin, I suppose, in the wilderness in Slovakia. And I quickly realised that whilst everyone there was sort of great at like chopping wood and other like manly activities, uh, mm. my strengths lied in getting them water and making sure they kept hydrated. So Marlon Pack looks like he can wield an axe and uh, therefore I think would be a great team. Yeah, what we need is like a good Eastern European player, probably not Russian these days, I might have a bit of an issue with that, but a good Eastern European player who's sort of hard as nails. Like, I've never met I mean, I used to go to Russia a fair amount quite a few years ago now, sort of last went 13 years ago, but I've been six times in a few years before that. And I never met a male over the age of 40 who couldn't, you know, swim miles across a river and back. because They've got army conscri- conscription who couldn't swim across a river and back, who couldn't identify mushrooms that you could eat in the wild, who couldn't, you know, drink you to under the table. You know, they're all sort of ex-paratrooper, ex-conscripted military people who fought in Afghanistan when the Russians had their war with Afghan, you know, just someone from the Eastern Bloc who's just hard as nails, but yeah, probably, probably wouldn't go Russian in 2023. Not a message in he says. <laughs> You've got, you know, got a response to that one, Hugh. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to make a political did, did statement on the Russia-Ukrainian war. Did you say a second player? You just mentioned Towler, that. mate. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's Riley Towler. Gassing about uh, places to go out in Bristol, making cider with him. I'm all up for it. Whilst Marlon Pack builds us all a shelter and does all the manly stuff. Yes. Playing to the stereotype. I like that. Yeah. West Country, cider, Bosch. (laughs) I'm there, mate. It's okay. (laughs) Living in Devon and stuff, I can get on board with my own stereotype, really. Yeah. And after all that, Joe Burrell will still find a way to get a booking. Let's not let Andy go off on one again. George Satcher messaged it and he says, Messino <laughs> has to start Sadie every game. The amount of times he regains possession for us against the posh was incredible. In brackets, I'd love to see the stats if you boys have them. Fred, start looking. Which is bad for Robertson and Jerim because I just can't see them starting with Sadie as number 10 at the moment. Andy, do you reckon Sadie is now a lock-in for that position at number 10? For the imminent future, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not as if we've got games coming, you know, thick and fast in the next two weeks. They've got two weeks of recovery. So I'd say it's very, very harsh if you drop him. I guess it depends on on the style of the game that you're you know, you're lining up for. So Derby County away, are we going to be lining up the same as we would be for Peterborough at home? Um, and oh, you can't drop him. I don't think you can. And I... 
I thought that, you know, Robertson was one of my first names on the team sheet. He's looked really good uh, since since he came into the side and he's created a lot of chances. And on paper, I'd have thought that we would have created less with Sadie, but that would have clearly been incorrect. Yeah, I think you've got to pick him for the next game. I, I don't see how you can drop him. He created a lot of lot of opportunities. Yeah, Sadie, Sadie definitely, definitely put his impact on that game. Is he made ten recoveries in that game where where he regained possession and five of them were in the opposition half. He also had a high duel rate where he got involved in twenty five duels and won fifty six percent of them. So definitely got incredibly involved, and he also had four dribbles and three of them were successful as well. So not only does he get the ball, he progresses it really well. And that link play, which has needed so much previously, that that definitely helps. It definitely helps. It's his position to lose now, I think, because like we were talking about in the extra, Robertson has the capability to play deeper as well with his tackling and his range of passing. So he could play both Robertson and Sadie and then bring on Andrew in, in the 10 because he likes to progress the ball and attack and go forward very well from central midfield. So that could be the the little switching play. We've got loads of options in central midfield now, which is very appreciative considering we're basically now playing a 4-2-3-1, aren't we? Yeah. And I think it just looks a little bit less flat, doesn't it, than the 4-3-3 we were playing before. We look so like we needed to link up the two bits and a 10 was needed and Christian Sadie stepped in and done that. So got to agree with you there, George. Um, Chris, I might mention in and says, I think the that game showed Messina's ability after his tactics mid-game and to push Sadie higher. I think there's enough versatility in the forward options in the squad now that the goals will start to come. I think if we keep playing like we did against Peterborough, then the goals will keep coming. And I think that it worked, isn't it? And it would always takes a bit of time to find the right formation with the whole new squad of players, etc. Fred Jenkins is a, a thing there with players, I suppose, when we come against a low block. You know, it could be a bit different. Potentially, yeah, because sometimes beating a low block can be incredibly hard. Well, we've seen it, Pompey, several times this season where they couldn't break down a low block very well because they packed the penalty area. Again, it's just it's just the link-up play and the fast movement and the quick and incisive passing and then switching the play. That's how you beat a low block. It's that incisive, quick passing that creates gap in that's defence. And if you've got the right striker or attacker going in the middle, and being on his own, then Pompey should be okay. So playing the more advanced midfielder instead of the flat three, that that will definitely help, 100%. Sorry, Normad, you messaged in and asked that question. The bigger question is, can we break down teams that park the bus? If we can break through that, then the question over our attacking we put to bed. Yeah, and as Freddie said, basically, that quick moving, and as Andy touched on as well, that switching from Joe Morrell, etc. earlier on, and the central midfielders generally with Pack should allow us to to break down that sort of team who do park the bus if we play in the same way we did in the second half against Peterborough. Sean Messina said, we won't know if the attack has been solved until we play this run of games. We've got room for improvement. I wouldn't want to be Moose having to pick the best attack and leave someone out. Andy, it's great, isn't it? We're in a situation now where we've got those options and we're looking at it going, who do we leave out rather than how can we add some to include? Yeah, absolutely. I think we're getting towards... The time in the season when really Messino needs to know his best eleven for likely really open games like the Saturday just gone, 
and his best 11 for the more attritional uh, home against bottom couple of teams in the league type of game. And I think by the time you get to nine or 10 games into the season, you need to know your strongest team for those occasions. And I do think he's getting towards that point now. And yeah, we're kind of, we've got a sort of a surplus of riches, haven't we, in, in the attacking positions, which is a strange thing to say when, you know, people were complaining about two successive nil-nils and and not being able to create, op- create opportunities. But I think pushing Sadie up like that, Moussinho will have learned a lot from that. It reduced how isolated Colby Bishop was by a huge amount. And I think there's certainly a lesson to be had there. And I think the the way that Morel was recycling play from dead balls is something that is also going to be effective when teams are sitting back. Because Peterborough had all 11 men back for corners. So that's exactly what teams are going to do when they come and play for a draw. And it was effective against 11 men behind the ball. So that's going to be the case whether you're playing against an attacking team or a you know, a very condensed back eight or back 10 that some teams do seem to line up with against us at Fratton Park with. So yeah, it's a nice position to be in. It's a pity we can't keep that momentum going this weekend. Yeah, Massino came out in the news actually and said he really liked the link that Sadie provided with Bishop. He described it as a solid performance of physical endurance and added that he had a lot of magic and spark. The main thing he challenged Sadie about is being able to do that every single week if he's starting, because he said even during the loan spell at Shrewsbury, he was in and out of the team a little bit, and he's a tiny bit concerned about stamina. So maybe the two-week break may help Sadie, even though the momentum drops off a fair bit, which is a bit of a shame. And he also said against specific sides, it gives him the option to play like a traditional flat front two, possibly when chasing the game. So that's another thing that playing Sadie there adds, which is a nice touch, I think. Josh Lishmash then, he says, something I've been thinking about is if Sadie locks down the 10 role, should Pompey recruit another striker in January? My feeling is hopefully you got Yangi back. He provides yeah. that option. He was out for six weeks, four to six weeks, right? So he'll be a roundabout back for Derby, I would imagine, maybe just after that, maybe for sort of the Wickham and Port Vale games, I'd imagine. Honestly, in response to that, I don't think we're going to know until we're closer to the January window. I have absolutely no idea at the moment. I think definitely just ask us that question again in November and I'll probably have a more competent answer. I think looking at the players we brought in and the amount of them, I'm struggling to see where another signing comes from and not just because of financial reasons, but purely who are you going to bring in? Who's going to be, if well, effectively third choice striker? Because you're going to have Bishop ahead, then you're going to have Yengi behind when fit. Sadie can play up front and the 10. Kamara can play up front as well and in the wings. If it's a one-in-one-out policy, you'll have to see how Denver Hume gets on with leaving um, because his moves broke down in the summer. So it'll have to depend on the specific player who comes in, which is not many are picking out on the top of my head so far, but we'll see. We've got a long way to go until January, so there might be some switches there. But at the moment, because of the versatility of some of our players and the amount of them that we have, I'm not sure if another striker will come in. 
Ryan messaged in and he says, when you consider we signed 13 new players in the transfer window, I think we've done brilliantly. It was always going to take time for them to gel and be on the same wavelength and attacking-wise. <clears throat> it still will, but I feel like Saturday is a bit of a turning point slash light bulb moment for the club. Then, to only concede two goals with that many new signings is outstanding. It's been the first year where all of our loan signings actually live up to their reputation and just give Sadie the keys to the city now. Up the blues. Again, he's right there. The, the players are settled in. The loan signings do look decent as well. Obviously, we have to see how Andrew settles in as well. He's still getting up to fitness, I believe. I know some people wanted to see him take a part, but Freddie's still getting up to fitness, isn't he, at the second in time? Yeah, um, a good article in the news actually broke down to, you know, Andrian's injury history. I didn't realise how bad it was. It was mentioned on the extra briefly, but we didn't. We looked at more of his style of play than anything. But last campaign for Huddersfield, he had a bout of glandular fever, then had an ankle injury which needed surgery, and that followed from previous back and quad issues, and also he's broken his metatarsal before. That's a lot of different injuries, and the impact it must have on his body is pretty severe. Sounds like me. Yeah, so, so <laughs> essentially, the key is just not to rush him. From the from the advanced numbers that me and the extra guys looked at, and his style of play, it's a good fit considering if he's, you know, it would be difficult for him, for Pompey to bring in somebody who's going to play every week with all the options we have. But we brought in a midfielder who can carry the ball, progress the ball incredibly well, can get into good attacking areas and has got a good shot on him. It would just completely depend if he's fit. So rushing him straight into that Peterborough game would probably have been a bit reckless, to be honest, especially since he came in later than everybody else still has time to gel and for him for him personally a two-week break might be a good idea because it'll get him down to bed in obviously there's the connection with John Harley as well which is good so we'll see how it goes again it gives us an option I, I imagine he'll be on the bench for Derby presumably and then probably come on if Pompey are chasing the game that, that's how I see it anyway yeah and I do think it's a bit of a turning point from seeing how we break teams down but We've got a very hard September, so let's just work out where we stand in September. I think that'd be quite a good measuring stick, I suppose, to see if we can do that a little bit more consistently and if we can see how that works out. Every water message says Sadie adds a different dimension to our attack. Some defences can be unlocked with a pacier number 10. Others would need Sadie to break down the door. Again, that just shows the options we've got there again. you know, Do you need somebody who's going to just be like Robertson, just that sort of more small, intricate passing, skipping past people, or do you need someone a bit more physical? And I think that's just something that, as the season progresses, we'll get a better understanding. And maybe when we go away to the teams, it, it gets tinkered a little bit. We'll just have to see, really. But, yeah. Um, Fred, was there someone else? Or was that done now? Uh, yeah, there were two listener questions sent to me um, quickly. I can reduce them into a small bit. John Brooks messed in and says defence is good, including Norris. Midfield is okay, but we lack a goal scorer. Scully and White, neither creating or scoring. Curtis return. All right, Andy, should Ronan Curtis come back in Willie? Oh, nice, easy start of a 10 there towards the end of the podcast. Should he come back? Yes, he's earned a right to try and break back into this team. As far as I'm concerned, will he? I don't think so. Uh, based on, I know we've got different staff in certain positions in the club now, but based on how the club have previously 
interacted with players who have had long-term injuries, the number of them who have stayed at the club for a long period after returning from injury is fairly slim. So, yeah, I would say I think he's earned the right, but I'm not entirely convinced he's going to be given it. Fred, do you think he should go somewhere else just to get more of a regular starting, maybe some of the little bit less competition, or do you think he comes back into the team? I think for his career, he probably has to. Um, obviously, there's a lot. there would be a lot for him to consider with that move. Um, one of the main reasons why he didn't want to move earlier is because he wants to settle down with his family in Portsmouth, so that's a big thing. He's the sort of player that might be useful in January. I know you've had two good games under Bassino where he was aggressive, he was direct, wanted to bomb into the area. His crossing isn't as good as probably some of the other players on that left, which is a bit, which is a tiny bit of concern, which might change some things. I think if he if it comes to January and Scully isn't firing on the left wing and is really struggling, you'd probably need somebody behind Kamara. And maybe if there's no other option. Curtis might be a good one. And also he knows the club and there's a lot of dressing room aspects to that signing, which might make things a bit good if he wants to sign something short term for like six months until the end of the season. But I don't see it. I think I know nothing about this, but the management look as if they've like moved on from me. They want to sign younger and I don't think they want to sign a player who's coming off an injury who will be behind who hasn't had a preseason. It's going to be a really rough one, I think. I think it might end up just being a short-term contract in the season if that happens. Maybe he doesn't get an offer elsewhere, but I'm sure there'll be lots of takers who want to come in and give him a deal. So, yes, I think he could be a good direct replacement for Scully if he's still not firing, but well, I suppose the only time will tell. And it will just come down to his personal situation as well, I think. Does he want to move around Christmas and up, you know, what kind of offers does he get? All that kind of stuff, really, but... Only time will tell, but it could be a good addition to the squad. But at the moment, you're looking at it and you're thinking, Kamara looked quite good in the last game as well. We'll just have to see, I suppose. Thanks to everyone that messaged in. There was one more, Fred, but it was all about slow start. So we've already talked about that. Do we have any more bits to do on the news? Obviously, uh, there's, a, the there's only a couple of few quick bits. Kind of Sean has talked in the news about proving a point to John Senior when he wasn't picked in his first game. I know we talked about him a fair bit before the season, thinking he would be the backup option and worried about his ball-playing ability because he played in a Burton side that had a low block. But basically, when he wasn't picked for the first game, he had a chat with Moose saying how disappointed he was. And Moose basically said, knuckle down, keep doing what you're doing, and you'll get a chance. And didn't leak up for a screen, played really well. And all of a sudden, that defensive partnership looks excellent, doesn't it? Probably the strongest bit of the side, in my opinion, I think the back four and the goalkeeper that centaur pairing have sold a lot of options and a lot of problems quickens the play around the back and definitely looks solid and with only two goal league goals conceded already it looks definitely a little bit and I'm sure you guys agree I like the fact that Mazzino sort of kept it open to start the season he didn't just have a starting 11 and just blindsided played it the entire time he sort of changed things up a little bit which is good yeah, and they do look like absolutely solid at the back at the moment. So, yeah, very happy with it and our defensive options generally. Andy? You still there? Or have you gone? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, um, I, I don't need to echo Fred. I, I'd agree with the sentiments you've made there, to be honest with you. I don't need to repeat. Ad verbatim, probably not the best content for me to do that. Sweet. Anything else, yeah. Fred, before we wrap and this the only, up? 
yeah, the only last bit of news, and I'm, I'm afraid it's going to be an emotional right turn here. Um, details came out about the um, Anton Walks death. He obviously passed away in January. An inquest opened up at Suffolk Crown- Coroner's Court today, and it was found that um, he was involved in a jet ski collision where he was the passenger on the jet ski in Miami. He was on um, pre-season tour, I believe, with Charlotte FC, and a 46-foot scarab boat hit the jet ski and without going into a lot of the details the injuries from that collision meant that he passed away in hospital a day later um horrible news and 25 is definitely too young for that sort of thing to happen so yeah my thoughts are with anton walks and his family yep all right then let's wrap this up just had a quick look by the way thanks people who messaged in some responses on spotify you can always respond to what you think about the episode in the last one, Anthony said we should play two up top. We'll see if that's still... Let us know, Anthony, if you still think we should play two up top after that, the last performance. And someone responded to your extra one, Fred, and said, very informative, bordering on brain ache. Keep it coming, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know those extra episodes can. A lot of information flies at you. And even for me, myself, who's sort of familiar with a lot of the analytic stuff, sometimes it can take a lot to get your head around. But the key thing to take out of it is just a tool to analyse how pop you're playing alongside what you see in the stands. And if you think about that, then it just simplifies it a lot. Yeah. And just to finish it off, Lewis said, another brilliant podcast, lads. So thanks everyone who messaged in, in on uh, Spotify. Keep them coming. If you just think it, good, bad, anything we should do better, let us know. At PO Forecast on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please review us on Apple because that helps with showing up on Apple homepages and stuff. So yeah, give us a review on, uh, even if it's just the stars, give us a review on Apple pods too, please. Yeah. And bang it on Spotify. Give us five stars. If you want, if you like the content, if you got this far, you probably think it's all right at least. So if you don't like it, don't worry about doing the review. (laughs) (laughs) Just slip into our DMS and give some abuse. If you do like it, make it public. Exactly. We're so naff at this. Freddie, thanks for having the podcast. Oh, it's nice to be on here. Thank you. And uh, yeah, already looking forward to Derby County away, although it's a lot, it seems like a long way away already. I might treat myself to um, haven't against Truro on Saturday, but we'll see how that goes. But is Rob going to come with you? I know he's a massive fan of that. Rob is definitely not going to haven't because he hates <laughs> it that much. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see if I can, we'll see if I go to that game on Saturday. Andy, always a pleasure, mate. Yeah, thanks, Bunce. Also looking forward to Derby away, Freddie. Uh, it's actually, driving-wise, it takes four minutes longer for me to get to Pride Park than it does for me to get to Fratton Park in the car, which is a, a sign of how insane I am to have a season ticket at Fratton Park, I suppose. that It would actually be just as easy for me to you know, get to Derby County every Saturday. But yeah, looking forward to it. Always a pleasure, Hugh. Lovely to have a chat, boys. And yeah, nice to see you, Hugh, in person at the weekend after uh, relying on my VPN for the first couple of games of the season. So I didn't need repeat surgeries. What a dream. Nice one. Thanks, boys, again. And until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!